Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Mark DeBrinkett and welcome to another episode of the Good News Doctor podcast. And today we have a very special episode for you for today is the 4th of July and we are celebrating our independence. And one of the things about our independence that's very special to me and my family is our ability to be independent in a way as we're self-sufficient and self-sufficient in a way that we can actually grow our own food and we can go hunt and catch our own food and be able to supply my family if in case we were at a time of need. Now looking back over these last few years, there were definitely times when I felt we might be at need. And so I look back and I look at some of my mentors and I have a very special guest with me today and it's one of my dear friends and neighbors when I lived out in Colorado. And he is somebody that was raised on a farm and that understands a thing or two about raising fruits and vegetables and hunting especially because when it all boils down to it, if we're gonna survive and be able to support our family, we need to learn to be independent and be able to be able to live off the land and be able to do exactly that. So I wanna welcome Jeff Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jeff. And I tell you, in these last few years since we've been friends, you have taught me quite a bit and I have valued our friendship so much. And I thought this is such a great time of the year to be able to teach other people how to be a little bit more independent. You know, I, I I will share just a very quick story. About 12 years ago, uh, we, we've always leased a, a house up in Eureka, South Dakota, right on the North Dakota border. And it had three channels. So, you know, I mean, going back to the days of just three channels, and, and uh, it was my turn to kind of pick the channel, and I wasn't cooking that night. Anyway, there's half a dozen guys, and, and uh, as I picked through, there was a... Uh, uh, a gentleman that was retiring from the 4-H club as the president of the 4-H club of, of South Dakota. He had been the president for 50 years. He was 74 years old. And he gave a 30-minute speech that was just honestly jaw-dropping. And in that speech, he covered so many things. And, and he made a statement early on. He says, he says, people were only two generations from us not being able to feed ourselves without a grocery store or a fast food restaurant. He says, he says, think about what's happened just in the last 20 or 30 years. And then he went back and he recouped those 20 or 30 years. The point simply being that in, in that time, we went from raising our own protein to buying it at the store shelf. We went from raising our own gardens to relying on somebody else to do that for us. And then the next things he said were shocking, honestly. He talked about GMO and what it did to uh, the health of the cows and the calves uh, and, and, and all the problems with that. And he goes, and then they made it legal for human consumption. 
And after all the infertility, after all of the drugs to deal with all the disease, uh, it was it was unbelievable what this man walked through. And then he walked through our seeds and the companies producing the seeds and how they 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 come genetically modified in a way that they they prevent mold and bacteria and 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 breaking down and pesticides. So they've got all the herbicide, pesticide, everything built into them. And then it grows and we eat it. And we wonder why our guts are having so many problems. He goes, he goes, listen, he says, he says, kids aren't allergic to milk. He says, people are allergic to formaldehyde that the government makes them put in milk. He says, kids aren't allergic to wheat. Kids aren't allergic to corn. They're allergic to the GMO process that makes it where their gut can't process it. And I, I honestly, by the time I was done listening to this gentleman discuss these issues for 30 minutes and then take his retirement, I was like, boy, everyone on the planet should have the opportunity to, to listen to what this man just said, because we are the only ones that are going to be responsible for our health. We're the only ones that are going to be responsible for what we put in our mouths, what we purchase and, and what we eat. And, and, and what we cook with. And, and it's worth doing a little research. It, it, it really, really is. So just to back up on me quickly, uh, I, I was raised in a, in a small ranching world and we had our garden and we had all of our animals. So we had pigs, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner that we raised every year. Uh, we had uh, you know calves, uh, several. We, we, we had rabbits, we had chickens. We, we had a bunch of stuff around our place. And, and, and so we were honestly quite self-sufficient and, and then we traded with our neighbors. So, you know, every mile or two, there would be another place and, and, and everybody kind of worked together and helped each other. Well, in, in our little world, we also had dairy, uh, real small, just, just enough for ourselves. And, and here's the interesting piece in 1972, they made it legal to put formaldehyde in milk. And everybody kind of went, ah, yeah, not necessary, you know. But then they realized that if they added the 2% formaldehyde, they didn't have to clean all their milking machines and all their tanks and all their... And so it saved a huge amount of work because the formaldehyde stopped the spoilage. And if you want to see how that works, go find somebody that milks their cows, take fresh milk, put a gallon of it on the front porch and see what that looks like tomorrow. See what that smells like tomorrow. And then go get you a gallon of milk from any store and set that out for a week on a hot front porch in Florida. And we could still have a nice glass of milk. Set it out for two weeks. Tell me how long does that product take to go to turn bad? Guys, something's wrong in our food today. And there's just kind of the, the, the beginning of it. Uh, in 1974, they made it mandatory that you put formaldehyde and all milk sold commercially. And now today, who's, when's the last time you heard about formaldehyde in dairy products? Never. Never. It, that got handled in 1974 and has never been talked about since. Now let's look, farmers used to hold back 10% of their, their seed, their grain for seed for next year. Today they can't because it's been genetically modified. So if they plant 
any of what they hold back today in the corn world or the soybean world or the flaxseed world, if they hold back seed and they plant it, they only get about a 15% yield. So they'll, they'll go broke. They, they physically can't hold back seed. They have to buy the seed. Well, 90% of all seed comes from two chemical plants, Monsanto and DuPont, who have genetically modified the product, coated it with herbicides, pesticides, the whole process there. The GMO inside it keeps it from molding and breaking down. Now, you look at poor people today, you go out and you buy seed. They have to buy commercially to do these large plots. They have to buy this product from these, these chemical companies. Here's the problem. How far does the wind blow pollen? How far does a bee fly? Folks, this is real simple stuff. Legally, they only have to be 200 yards away from a GMO to be called organic. You don't think the wind blows 200 yards? You don't think bees fly 200? Bees work a mile, square mile. So bees are pollinating the next crop, the next crop. There is no such thing today in the United States as non-GMO. And that's why people can go to Europe and they can eat the product there and they don't have the gut issues. They can drink the milk, they can eat the flour, they can eat the corn products and they don't have the issues, come back to the United States and they've got gut issues. I've had patients for years. They travel there six months out of the year, eat the same thing, lose the weight, come back here, eat the same thing, put the weight back on. And it's a cycle. Same exact and, thing. And now we bring in, you can eat strawberries 12 months out of the year. You can eat cherries 12 months out of the year. You can eat watermelon 12 months out of the year. We used to cycle our food in a, in a, in a normal pattern. We didn't have the opportunity to eat strawberries every day of the year. Only, this isn't that many years ago, but the world has gotten smaller. The, the problem then becomes what herbicides, pesticides, anti-mold, anti-fungal are they spraying on those strawberries? Folks, you can look this all up if you want to really scare yourself. That's the dirty look dozen. Look up glyphosate, Roundup. Yes. yes. And, and look up what the main contributor of getting glyphosate into your body is. Go ahead and look up what grain has the most, and you're going to find that it's oats, and you're going to find that the biggest contributor is old-fashioned oats. It's really an unbelievable. Now we're taking a product, we're eating it, and it destroys our gut. I, I, I'm telling you that we, we could go on here. There's there's a lot of pieces to health that are really important. And here we eat every day and we drink every day. We consume every day to feed this chemical electrical system. That's right. And what are we feeding it with? So what about the beef that we buy in stores? What about the chicken that we buy in stores? What about the pork that we buy in stores? So we'll go back on this. My father, his neighbor, won millions of dollars in this grant from, from the president of the United States back in the 80s for processing everything necessary to create the California Organic Food Law Act. And today you can go into any store and you'll pick up products and it'll say grown in accordance 
to the California Organic Food Law Act. Well, what is that act? This gentleman farmed over 3 million acres in the Sacramento and San Joaquin Valley. What he got passed and done was the ability to put raw human solid sewage as organic fertilizer on his 3 million acres. And then that got adopted by Colorado. Then it got adopted by Oregon, Washington. Now it's adopted almost nationally. But, but think about that raw human sewage. Human sewage, if we wanna go back to the Bible times, they were told to bury. You took a stick, you dug a hole and you buried your, your solids. Because human sewage has bacteria that nothing else has. That's why we can consume this huge array of cho choices of food. Well, the point, the point is this. Not only are we killing that bacteria with glyphosate, but now we're spreading that bacteria all over our soil and calling it organic fertilizer. So this gentleman, my dad's neighbor, he said he would not eat any raw fruit or vegetable out of his 3 million acres because from the inside of that tomato or that carrot or that anything, you could culture the exact same bacteria found in human sewage. And he said, it's making your body work way overtime. He said he, he wouldn't even eat his own product. And yet they're selling it all over the world. So, so that kind of took care of our view of the concept of organic. Well, then another thing happened in the early 90s. There, there was this process, great friends of ours that raised chickens. They were doing 32,000 chickens or 16,000 turkeys. Well, the turkeys were tough because when they would inject them with the hormones, the growth hormones, they would a huge percentage of them would die. So they really struggled with raising turkeys, but chickens were great. Well, then in the early 90s, a law got passed that if, it, if the hormones and the antibiotics were in the food and they were naturally eaten by the bird, uh -huh. okay, no longer injections. If they were naturally eaten by the bird, we could call it natural organic. Uh, okay, let me tell you now, if anybody's ever been raised on a farm and you have your chickens and you can take large breed chickens and you can take a six month old chicken and he looks really immature and skinny and he looks terrible. And, and today they produce in 16 weeks, a 12 pound turkey on your table. In 16 weeks, they produce a five pound chicken on your table. Just go to the big box stores where they have the big rotisserie chickens. Guys, they're just big tumors. And we wonder why we're having the health issues that we have today. So, so in beef, back in the same time period, they were having these huge problems as this market gets bigger and bigger with what to do with all this hazardous waste. That's all the gut fluid, blood, everything that you couldn't legally at that time, feed to an animal or to a human was considered hazardous waste. So what did, what did our wonderful program of FDA and USDA do for us? They made it legal to feed all of that to hogs, chickens, and beef.
So you can go out here, out in Western Colorado, the Beesons used to run the, the two largest plants out here, the biggest calving process where they would drop calves in that are young, and then the biggest feedlot. So father and son, and they ran these two, and they quit because of the sickness of what's going on today. But, but watch this. These calves come in and they stand and they ball for three days. They won't eat. They take 50% silage. So silage is basically a corn or a product they call cane or milo. And they put it in these big covered units and it gets hot and it, it, it basically breaks down uh, to a great degree. And then they take that silage and they mix it now with all that blood and gut fluid and everything that cannot be given to human or pet consumption. And they mix that in these huge blenders and that's what they feed the calves. If they don't give those calves massive amounts of antibiotics, the calves all get sick and die. So for three days, they stand there and ball like they're starving. Then they finally <laughs> stick their nose in and they start eating and then they grow. But if they don't put them on an antibiotic program, and I mean a, a very strong, their words to me were a hundred times more antibiotics than would ever be necessary, ever in a normal world. They're giving them a hundred times more antibiotics to deal with the sickness that comes from the blood and the gut fluid and all the product that can't go to human or pet consumption. Then they take them over as they get a little bigger, about eight months old, and they move them to a feedlot to grow them out. They put them in an area where they can't walk around that very far. They walk around and, and manure up to their, their elbows. They, they're still given high amounts of this antibiotic program. And here's where it really gets unfortunate. If they're dead, the dog food people pick it up. If their head's off the ground, the hamburger people pick it up. If they're standing on their feet, it goes to grocery stores. Now think that through for a second. So anytime a cow goes down, they run out there with a machine that gives multiple injections. So they every time they pull the trigger, it gives them an injection. And they'll go right down their back. And he says, sometimes they'll give them 20, sometimes they'll give them 50. He says, sometimes if they really look bad, they'll give them 100 shots, hoping that they're either they're, they either stay alive or that their head comes up or that they stand up because each one of those makes them worth more per pound. That's pretty sad. Where does that go? Who eats this? We do, our kids, our grandkids. This can't end well. No, it doesn't end well. We're, we're in trouble in this country. Greed has shoved us in a direction uh, to, to mass produce in small areas as much as possible. It just, it can't end well. We just need to step back just a little bit. Last story I'm going to tell. Last year, let's see. No, that's not true. 2021, in the fall, I got a phone call from a gentleman where we go over and, and uh, they allow us to, to hunt on their property. So they've got 13 and a half sections and the neighbor has 14 and a half sections. So between the two of them, uh, we have a lot of ground that we get to cover. And we've gotten to know them really well over the years. They're great people. and. And in 2021, he called me on the phone and asked if I needed any pork. And I said, well, Richard, what's, what's up? And he goes, well, you know, my neighbors, 
you know, the next town over, he says, this is out in the middle of Nebraska. He says, you know, they raise hogs. And I said, yeah. And he says, they, they do like 12,000 hogs a year in this rotation. And I said, okay. And he says, and I've seen the hog barns. I've seen the barns, but I've, I've never been up there to them. And, and he says, uh, Jeff, they, they, they've got a bunch of hogs they need to sell. And I said, well, why, why do they need to sell them? He said, well, there's no place right now because of the COVID issues that can process and through, for, for the slaughterhouses. There's no, there's no slaughterhouses that are, that are able to take them right now. And I said, okay. And he goes, he goes Jeff, they're, get, they're, they're held in these small pens. So he says, as they grow, the springs get wider and wider, and then they, they lengthen the stall to fit the, 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 the hog. And so that, that hog's never allowed to turn around. It's never allowed to go for a walk. It's got a feeding trough that runs on a conveyor belt in the front. It's got a, it's got a poop trough that runs on the back. And so he says, they just keep them and they just keep moving the front forward to, as the hog gets bigger, you know, and they, and they're just rows of them. And he says, they're growing at five to eight pounds a day. And he said at 275 to 285 pounds, they drop dead. There's so much load on their heart and so much fat that they drop dead. He goes, none of, none of them make it to 300 pounds. He says, right now they're at about 250 to 260. And he says, if they die, they're hazardous waste and they're very expensive to get rid of. So they have to either kill them and bury them, which is an expensive process. I mean, we're not talking about 50 hogs here. We're talking about a few thousand hogs in a rotation that they do a couple times a year. And he says, he says, for $20, they'll give you all the hogs you want for $20 a hog. So now this is a 250 to 260 pound hog that's been raised to, to, to be eaten, sold to our biggest producers of finished hog meat that go to the biggest box stores that you can name okay he says I, I i go oh man you know i'm five hours from you something 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 and i'm just trying to make excuses because i don't want any of this so finally i said to, to richard i go as i'm making these excuses he goes jeff he says they'll pay you 20 bucks a hog in fact they'll pay you 50 bucks a hog if you'll come take a few and if you if you have friends that you know that that'll take them, he says they'll they'll, they'll pay you to take them out of here, and you know just bring a just bring a a trailer and come get them. And I said, well, how many of them are you getting, Richard? And he goes, Jeff, I'm I'm not taking any. He says, I I'm sorry, buddy, but I I I wouldn't feed my my family that that product. And I went, really? He goes, too hot. Too many hormones, too many antibiotics. He said, it's just not right. He said, it's, it's, it's just not good. It's not good to be eating this stuff. He, he goes, if I was going to eat a hog, I'd, I'd want to raise it. So I knew what it was eating. And he says, less like our cows, you know, they're all grass fed, blah, blah. And he gives me this explanation. And he goes, and Jeff, I already knew you were going to say no, because I know you get those pecan raised hogs out of uh, uh, wild hogs out of Southern Oklahoma. He says, I, I already knew you'd say no. But I told my buddy I would make some phone calls. And so I'm make, I'm doing what I said I would do. I'm making some phone calls. So, you know, don't don't worry about not taking it. And I said, well, no, thank you. Thanks for the phone call. You know, I'll pass. Guys, think about this. Th think about what we're eating today and where that's coming from and how it's being grown. And, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm 
I'm glad there are other choices. I mean, it's work. You got to look around. It's it's a process. But but there are farms that will raise chickens right. Uh, we've got one out in Elizabeth. You know, now it's not cheap. It's fifteen dollars for a three pound chicken. I mean, it's not cheap, but it's good. And and you know, there there are people trying to do a good job. There are people paying attention. We all need to pay attention. So I know that didn't really cover the survival side of things and knowing what to do with a carcass when you get it on the ground. <laughs> Man, that's such powerful information. And 30 years ago, when I was in medical school, one of our semesters in school was called Diet for New America. And they made us read this book from John Robbins, who was the son of the founder of Baskin and Robbins. And it was all about him getting his dad's ice cream empire handed to him. And he wouldn't have anything to do with it because of the way of the dairy and the way that they were treated and the cruelty of the, the whole empire. And so he literally disappeared and took off into the wilderness with his wife for like six years and lived off the land. And then decided, you know what? I can't abandon society. I have to go back and tell them what happened. And so he literally did a documentary. This is in the early 90s, where he went from slaughterhouse to slaughterhouse. And exactly the things that you were saying, he showed us in a movie and in a book. And it took the whole, whole semester just to take us through in detail about that. And it had such an impact. I couldn't eat any of that store-bought stuff for... For years, it was like I could only go to my friends that were hunters and go hunt with them, learn how to hunt, and then find the ones that were good and get them to, you know, give me some meat to last for my family for a while or go fishing and learn how to get fish, you know. And so I don't call myself a hunter or a fisherman. I, you know, I need to learn more. And that's you know why I've enjoyed our friendship and certainly to see how you've dedicated so much of your life and your passion to being good at it and an expert at it and being able to float that river and fly fish with you last month was just unbelievable. Um, that was an awesome experience and I, I think I really do want to have you back on more episodes and go into the process of how we do the different things like with the deer, with the elk and, you know, with the fish, things of that nature. Um, I think on this episode, you know, we touched on so much about how the food has kind of gone south since the industrial side of things. And I know what even happened before you and I were around. It happened in World War II when, you know, they had all this extra nitrogen and petroleum. They're like, what do we do with this stuff? And so they started making fertilizer out of it and realized that, oh my gosh, it's growing so much faster. And, you know, the bugs seem to be attracted to it. So then it, it, it initiated this whole process of, well, we need to make something to stop the bugs from eating it. And so we just keep, instead of fixing the problem, we keep putting Band-Aids over the problem that are making the problem even worse. And so... For you to be somebody that was raised in a farming community, and like you were saying, it was like a co-op. You had neighbors. They had their specialties. You raised your specialties. You trade for this, for that. Everybody can get gets a little piece of that. I mean, that's really what our society, I envision, needs to turn back to. And, and our communities need to learn how to grow vegetables, grow and raise livestock even, 
and be able to give back to the community and share and be part of these exchanges. But I just think, like you were saying when we were out there last, that if you gave your grandkids a goat, they would be clueless. Like, what do I do with it? (laughs) They wouldn't know. They would starve to death. The goat would probably starve to death, let alone themselves. And it got me thinking, like, how you started this whole thing off. We're literally just two generations out from being self-sufficient. And that's pretty sad. We fought so many decades to have our independence, to have this freedom that we that we hold so dearly. And we appreciate every single one of you that have fought for that freedom and that gave your lives and gave so much for us to have this. It would be a shame for us to wither away and die because we can't even feed ourselves for crying out loud or that we're not paying attention and we're feeding ourselves and like dying of tumors and all these things that just clog us up two decades ago two generations ago we died of old age and then all of a sudden they changed up our food on us and now we're dying of of one of the four diseases right that actually clog us up and now take it another generation and now our kids are getting those diseases. We have childhood diabetes, childhood cancer. That's not supposed to happen. I mean, this is bad. Look, our, our pets are dying at three, four, five years old of, of kidney failure, liver failure, half a dozen different cancers. I mean, it's the whole thing has changed so much in the in, in the process of this. And and I and I will tell you also a comment here that you might want to put in is in the early 90s, we were in Colorado here. We were up elk hunting, my dad and I, and the camp next to us, we always camp next to these guys from South Dakota. And one year, the one guy's brother came and he was a veterinary nutritionist. And my wife had fixed a turkey for us. So she had a turkey and a couple of uh, of uh, 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 um, pumpkin pies and you know, all kind, you know, and mashed potatoes. She had a whole thing for us for, for dinner because we knew this camp, these four guys next to us, um, depending on how everybody's nights were going and if they hunted late or whatever. And so I figured, well, I will do one big meal. So one night I'll, I'll cook for everybody, right? And so I bring this meal into camp and here's this veterinary nutritionist and he's looking at it and he, and he asked me a question. He goes, do you know who raised that turkey? And I went, probably Butterball. Now, I, I was being funny, right? But I didn't have a clue. My wife bought this turkey at a store. And he goes, he goes, uh, Jeff, if you don't know who raised the poultry, don't eat it. And he took off why. And he, he's the one that shared all this information about the if it goes through their beak and, you know, and, and what they're putting in there that gets them to grow and blah, blah, blah. And so it was a real eye opener. Now, that was in 1992 or three. And the interesting thing was, in 1986, my dad had an issue with testicular cancer. And that was really the big eye-opener to our family, because uh, he he was told by two huge oncology groups on the West Coast that he would not live for six more months. He ends up going to a, a place called the Livingston Wheeler Clinic down in Southern California, and they went through a process that we can chat on another time. It'd probably be good for a a, a nice episode here um, of what 
to clean up in his world and silver out of his teeth and and parasites out of his blood and his body and and i mean they you know and they gave him the same thing that we were giving our dogs for parasites and you know and he came home and he's like man this was really and they showed all these pictures on his blood and then they said don't ever eat an egg that isn't cooked hard cooked all the way through there's too much in that egg and they gave all the reasons why uh, that your body has to, to to fight if if it's not been cooked thoroughly and then don't eat poultry no store-bought poultry if you don't know who raised it don't so that was in 1986 that they were walking through this and they told my dad uh no pork no poultry um grass-fed beef if he can know for sure because in the u.s if it ain't grass for a day, they can call it grass fed. And now it's That's 18 terrible. months old when they slaughter it and, and it ate grass for a week or three weeks or three months. Anyway, so this whole process of do you trust who do you really trust who's raising your proteins? And 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 so between my dad's process with the Livingston Wheeler Clinic in 86, 87. And by the way, here he is. He's still going today. I mean, he's, oh, they, they, they taught us a lot. Okay. Interesting thing. They said, eat all the wild game you, you want to eat. Be careful with fish because of the metal poisonings, because of what humans have done with their sewage and dumping it in the oceans. And they, they went all down this whole, so they're like, and be careful with trout because if uh, upstream from you is any mine activities, you're going to have mercury and you're going to have arsenic and you're going to have, you know, heavy metal content in the fish. And, and so they walked, this was in 1986 and 87. And now we meet this guy in 92 or 93 and to have him circle the wagons on all this again was a real good reminder for all of us. Mm -hmm. And Mark, you know, we're pretty, careful i'm not saying we're perfect yeah. that i'm not but we're pretty careful with what we eat and how we eat we, we really are and we raise a nice little garden and 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 we do harvest our, our own wild game we're fortunate to be able to know how to do that and process that and and if you do it right you've eaten it is it good it's amazing it's amazing I, it really truly is my brother just flew in today and <laughs> and and he's just like hey what do we got lined up for dinners for, for right, i right. mean he's all like you know <laughs> knowing what he likes so my, my point is is it is worth learning in today's world just the way we're being brought up and the way the whole process is going um it's tough it's really really hard and and so uh you know i i would say uh, that we ought to spend some time in a future episode on how to source it, where to go look for it, um, what questions to be asking when you do go looking for your eggs uh, or, 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 or your proteins. Um, I, I think that would be a really worthwhile process for us to, to walk through in a future episode. I think so. I so appreciate that. Um, you know, we wouldn't have an episode where we just talk about all of the problems out there and the bad news without piggybacking that with the good news. And so we're going to leave you with a little bit of good news this episode. And that is that when I was living out in Colorado and living next door to Jeff, yes, I did enjoy his cuisine quite often, but we also had local farms that were grass fed and grass finished beef, which meant 
we could go visit those farms and the cows would walk right up to the fence and you'd get out there and pet them and they'd be looking at you and you could tell they were happy and pleasant, you know, all the way to the very end. When you go to farms that are not finished with grass and they start feeding them off the lot for the last few weeks, few months, and they feed them a lot of corn and a lot of GMO stuff, their brains change. Their eyes are all over the place. They're agitated. They're fidgety. They won't come to the fence. They run away. They're, they're not happy. They're gaining like a lot of weight really fast. You know, it's just not the same. And, and, and that's, and that's the ones that are only the last like month or two, you know, like that, the stuff that you're buying in the store like he said, that you, they only have to have had a day or two of eating grass to be called grass-fed, grass-finished, or however they're calling it. It's so misleading. So since I've moved to Florida, I'm like, where's the beef? Where am I going to get this good quality beef? So there's going to be a link below. And if you want to follow Jeff and learn his secrets, he turned me on to a company that we get the most amazing beef. There was an individual that was intuitive enough to have foresight of how the cattle was being treated and where everything was going in the country. And they literally took all the measures to make sure that we get the best quality meat for ourselves, for our families, if we don't know how to go out there and do it ourselves, meaning either raise them or go into the woods and hunt them down ourselves and know how to prepare it to not be gamey. Now, my goal is to have Jeff back and teach us a few more episodes to know exactly how to do that, just in case we need that. But follow him on the link below, and you can learn how to have that amazing beef shipped right to your home, just like him and I get to enjoy as well. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for enjoying us. And until next time, make it a great day.